Welcome to Parsha in Progress. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year. And I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. And we're two very different Jews talking about the same Torah together. Today we're doing Shoftim, which means judges. And that's judges in the Torah, not judges in the prophets. We are sticking with, with the Torah today and focusing, we're zeroing in on the idea of a king because Essentially, Moses is instructing the people, you're going to go into this land without me, and you might want to make a king. Correct. Why don't you summarize before we just read the verse? Yeah, he says, you'll say, we want a king like all the nations around me. And Moses says, okay, here's what you'll have to do if you want a king, and lays out some very particular parameters about what that king will have to do and keep to, uh, to be the proper king for the Israelites. But basically, if you had a society, you had a king. Yeah. And he's saying you can't just have a king without strictures, without parameters. So we're in verse 17, 14. If after you have entered the land, this is Moses speaking, that the Lord your God has assigned to you and taken possession of it and settled in it, you decide, I will set a king over me, as do all the nations about me, you shall be free to set a king over yourself, one chosen by the Lord your God. Be sure to set as king over yourself one of your own people. You must not set a foreigner over you, one who is not your kinsman. So that's we can liken it right away to America. You can't, right. you can't have an Englishman not. as president. Yep. Moreover, he shall not keep many horses or send people back to Egypt to add to his horses. Since the Lord has warned you, you must not go back that way again. So that's like you can't kind of hoard riches, right? Because horses was a sign of power and wealth. royalty, wealth. Yeah. And he shall not have many wives, lest his heart go astray, nor shall he amass silver and gold to excess. So I'm pausing there. What do you make of that? That's, again, you have to kind of remember who you are. This is not about suddenly you're some fancy guy on a throne. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's less about, like, we might sort of be immediately concerned about abuse of power. And it seems that the Torah is a little more concerned about remembering that you're ser ultimately serving the people and serving God. So it's not about your own status and wealth. And, and ego. So and ego, exactly, and, and pride. And the whole concern about the horses is that you'll lead the people back to Egypt, and the Torah wants us out of Egypt. When he is seated on his royal throne, he shall have a copy of this teaching written for him on a scroll by the Levitical priests. So basically, you've got to keep the text near you. You have right. to keep the Constitution <laughs> at your side. Right. Don't lose sight of the roadmap. Exactly. And the uh, Hebrew word for teaching is Torah. So it's both like a constitutional monarchy. You're not above the law. You are bound by the law, but it's also you're under God. And then the last verse of this section, 1719, let it remain with him and let him read in it all his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, to observe faithfully every word of this teaching as well as these laws. I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful to basically say, don't let it go. Don't get complacent, don't get lazy. Mm -hmm. You're not just a leader, you're a learner. You are going to essentially keep studying. Huh, that's that's really beautiful. I don't think I ever sort of connected that. I Meaning I always read it more as, you know, you ultimately are under God or under the Torah. You, you have to live up to the Torah, represent it to the people. But I very much like your point, the point that comes through humility and always being open to learning, open to growing. Uh, I hadn't thought about it in and those terms. And isn't part of the humility then the idea that you really don't know it all. Part of being a leader is being open to recognizing you don't have the answers and that you have to constantly be learning. I, it's a really beautiful point. And I know we're probably supposed to stay away from politics, but just because it's impossible, 
for me. (laughs) Um, I do think about whether it's true or not. It seems to be the case that our current president doesn't read a lot (laughs) (laughs) or at least doesn't study up, Uh, doesn't study up whether it's before a meeting, a mm -hmm. summit or in general. Um, And this idea of let him read in it all his life. I mean, the idea that any king and in Mm. a sense, that's the that is the analogy. Any president, any prime minister, any leader has to have humility about knowledge, about learning. Right. And that, that we're, we're missing that. And I curiosity. Think. And like when they ask people, what books are you do have by your nightstand? If the answer is none, then that's a real that's lack a of problem. Yeah. But I, the idea of study being very connected to leadership, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. learning being right. connected to leadership, right, 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 to right. me is a major takeaway for this Parsha. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. What do you make about the fact that it also says he should write it? Now, it could be read as he should have it written for him, but is there some sense you get about the actual fact of like directly being involved in putting the words onto paper? It's it's open for meaning whether he should write it or have it written. So what do you think? I mean, is there not authorship from the king? Well, I think that there is something, look, I'm in the middle, you've written books, I'm in the middle of working on a book. I think there's something that has a profound sense of connection when you actually are the one that puts the words to the paper. And even if it's maybe copying over the words of the Torah, I just think it's even more speaking about that close sense of identification and ownership. I mean, and even that verse, that point, it says that it should be with him all of his days. Like, it's like constantly there. I mean, I think the uh, for the rabbis, it was almost like something he literally physically carried with him wherever he went. And it's a discipline, in yeah. a sense. Like, you're incomplete without it. So what draws you to this idea of a, of, an, of a lifelong learner? Why does it speak to you so much, Abby? Because I think it's not just an idea or a slogan. It's, it is genuinely how I have tried to approach my own kind of Jewish path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I wrote my most recent book, My Jewish Year, and was basically observing, first researching and then observing every single holiday in the Jewish calendar for the first time, which I know you have done since you were in utero, I was very careful to say, I realize that I am a sojourner here. I realize I am trying not to parachute in and say that what I'm learning means that I know more. It's the opposite. It's that I'm asking rabbis, scholars to kind of, to bring me along, to help me, to help me fill in the blanks. And to a a person to a rabbi, no one turned me down. Everyone was like, yeah, let's talk about Tu B'Shvat for two hours. <laughs> and to me, that was the richness of that journey more than anything was the idea of having kind of your own personal laboratory and this many people from this many directions in terms of Jewish life and observance saying, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to help you there. That is hopefully not just making me a better writer and a better journalist. It's making me a better Jew. Mm-hmm. And a better person. Hopefully a better person. And right. that, and that to me, that doesn't say I still am extremely flawed and my therapist can tell you all the ways why. <laughs> but when I think about a king, I think about exactly that same kind of humility, a sense of, of how little you are mm. in the universe. Mm. Do you think, though, that learning engenders that? Or do you think you came in with that? Because some people, maybe they learn and it feeds an arrogance and a sense of mastery. That's actually true. I I feel like the more I learn, the more humble I become (laughs) because it's awesome. And it can Mm -hmm. be overwhelming. Right. I think it stops a lot of people because it just feels like I'll I'll never master this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for someone like you who has mastered a lot, you know, and I say this not just to praise you, but to say like you're living this on a daily basis and teaching it. Mm-hmm. Would you say this is operating? Seriously. 
Well, I definitely think that when I took this position, I came in feeling I do not have all the answers. Like I have been my lifelong a teacher, a scholar, um, not a head of an institution. And so I came in knowing that I had a lot of learning to do and I needed a lot of people to collaborate with me. And I think that people have, it's made me a better leader and people have really responded to that. Um, I still have a lot to learn, um, but I often feel that when I see leaders make mistakes, it's because they are too self-confident and not open to learning and the sense that they always have to project that they know the answers. How about you, Abby? What's it? You were president of Central Synagogue. What was it like for you in terms of that role? Humbling. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you are representing the congregation from a lay person's perspective, you have to have great humility about other people's stories and other people's experiences. I kind of saw it not as a leader in chief. I saw the role as a listener in chief. And it didn't mean that I didn't mm -hmm. have to make decisions or weigh in on decisions. I did. But I never, I, I hope that I never did it without doing a lot of listening first, which is essentially what I think this Parsha is asking. You cannot be a leader without listening, which is, to me, kind of the analogy to learning. So we've both been leaders and learners, which is really Hopefully. great. Hopefully. Hopefully we will continue to be both. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Abigail Pogrubin and Rabbi Dove Linzer. The show is produced by Shira Telushkin and executive produced by Josh Cross and Tablet Magazine. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'd be so grateful if you'd head over to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps more people find us. You can also write or fetch to us at this email, parshainprogress at tabletmag.com. Thanks for listening. I'm schwitzing here.